Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis with the Anderson Podcast. And today I got an awesome, I guess I would call you a flipper wholesaler mix. What would we, how, how would we yeah. term it? I, I like wholesaler flipper mix because I consider myself a wholesaler first, but I, I do cherry pick my fix and flip deals through my wholesale company. And so I'm a wholesaler fix and flipper. Problem yeah. solver extraordinaire. Yes. So his name is Jamil Damji. And uh, I met Jamil through a, a super group that I get to go and I'm going to get to talk to once a year. Really neat group. And uh, all you guys are like, are we allowed to talk about your super group or is it like? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not. I, let's talk about it. It's all wholesalers. They're all killing it. They're all seven figure plus wholesalers, which people always scratch their head and go, what the heck is wholesaling? Number yep. one. And then they go and say, how do you make seven figures wholesaling? And voila, that's why we bring guys like Jimmy along. So like, how did you get into it? Man, I got into it by accident, Toby. So let's rewind to 2002 when I got into the business. I uh, had no real estate background. In fact, my um, I was supposed to be a doctor, right? I'm East Indian. My parents, they were like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. I had three options. Choose one, right? So I, I was going to be a doctor. I, I got a degree in physiology. And um, one day I just snapped. You know, I said to my mom and dad, I'm like, I can't do this. I, I, I don't want to be a doctor. I can't stand a side of blood. I only want to be a physician for the money. And I don't think that's the right reason to be a doctor. So <laughs> I'm not going to do this. Right. And so I, I left and I went into entrepreneurship, broke their heart for a little while. That's fine. They're happy now. But yeah. I, uh, now I, they're happy. They're like, come over here and fix my house. Yeah. Yeah. Or, hey, pay this bill. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the fun part of being an entrepreneur is you don't know what's coming, right? You don't know what life's going to look like. And so here I am in 2002, and I'm in a media company. And my job is cold calling business owners, convincing them that there's this thing called the internet that's going to change the way we do business. And people aren't buying it, right? They're like, because I'm literally calling business owners out of the yellow pages to convince them to purchase a, a website from us. So back then we would charge $600 for a five page simple website, you know, a, a home about us, contact information, gallery, and something else, list of products and services. And um, we would charge $600 for it, but ultimately it cost me $700 to make one of those $600 websites that I sold. Okay, so I lose a hundred bucks every time I made a sale, right? Not very smart, but but really, really the best way to start an entrepreneurial journey, right? Just yeah. not really knowing much, but bootstrapping it. Anyhow, I'm walking by my business partner's office and he's having a conversation with his dad. And they're talking about a real estate deal they're in where they're making $160,000 on this project. And for a guy who's losing a hundred bucks every time he makes a sale, I listen, right? Interject myself into the conversation and I ask, what are you guys talking about and how can I get involved? And very quickly, they say, you can't. You have no money. You have no experience. You have no license. There's, there's no way for you to do this. Stop listening to us and go back to losing money in the call center. But I don't take that as a, as a, a firm no. 
I hear that they're looking for more of these building lots. You know, they're, they're griping about how they can't find enough of these building lots. And so I asked what that's about. And they say, we need these old bungalows that are on 50 by 120 foot lots, zoned R2, that we can demolish and put our, these new duplexes on. If you can help us find those, there's a place for you to make some money. So boom, I have an in, right? The next day I'm walking my dog. And I live in a neighborhood where this development is happening. And so these little bungalows on 50 foot lots are all around me. And I'm walking my dog down a street where there's a rental that I'd actually tried to rent three months before, but I couldn't afford it. It was $200 a month out of my, my budget. That's where I am in life, right? 200 bucks makes or breaks where I live. I remember those days. So, yeah, right? So I, I, call, I call the number and I ask the lady if she's interested in possibly selling instead of renting. She's, you know, it's been available for three months. She's been unsuccessful renting the property. Possibly she might want to sell it. And she said, yeah, for the right price. And I asked what that was. She said 350000 So I rushed back to the office. I talked to my partner and I asked what his dad would pay for this house. And they say four hundred grand. So now I have a $50,000 problem, right? I have no money. I can't buy this house, but they'll pay four hundred dollars for it. So what do I do? So I do what I know what to do. And I get into the yellow pages and I start calling lawyers. I call all the way down. I call every single, and, and I can't get a hold of anybody. Their secretaries are, are blocking me right off the hop. They're, you know, it turn, you know how it is, Toby. You know how it is. They're, no idea what you're talking about. I can't. I there's. I couldn't get you on the phone if I wanted to. I'd have to go through several layers of filtration before I get to even be on this podcast, right? So, so with that said, you're busy, and as are all attorneys. This guy is so fresh out of law school. He doesn't have a secretary yet. He answers his own phone. That's and, perfect. And I got all the way to S. His last name was Steed. David Steed. I'll never forget you, David Steed, because he picked up the phone and he told me exactly what I needed to do. In Canada, we call this transaction a skip transfer. And he explains to me that I need two contracts, one where I purchased the property, where I'm the buyer. And he said, it's really important that you write your name in as your name and or nominee. And then you need a second contract where you're the seller and you're going to sell it to that person that's willing to pay you $400,000. i am going to email you both contracts right now. What you do is get these filled out and bring them to me. And in a few weeks, once we do all of the, all of the conveyance, I'll have a check for you. And that was it. And that's exactly what I did. And I did get a $48,000 check when it was all said and done. He took his $2,000 in fees. And I'm sitting there looking at this thinking, what am I doing? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I thought I invented wholesaling at that time, Toby, because there was nobody teaching it. The internet was brand new. I hadn't watched any of the infomercials on TV because I'm in Canada and Ron Legrand's not, not advertising in Canada, right? So, so here I think I invent this amazing business model and I go, all, I go all in. I quit the media company and I spend the rest of my days scouring the classifieds looking for rentals. And I continue doing this over and over and over again. And I amass a, a small fortune. Was this in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Where in Canada? Calgary, Alberta. Wow. Yeah. So I identify this thing, right? I'm, I, I say where these developers are, are working. They need the raw material. They need the, the, the product. They need the broken house or they need the broken apartment building. So I'm watching all these condo conversions happen. And I think, well, if it worked for a single family house, it's going to work for an apartment building too. Mm -hmm. So I start driving up and down the streets looking for handwritten for rent signs on apartment buildings. And I start 
contracting and flipping these apartment buildings, making a hundred thousand dollars a pop. I'm so over my, like over my head in this situation. I make, I'm making a tremendous amount of money, young guy. So I'm not saving it right. I'm not, I'm doing all the wrong things. Canada hits you pretty hard on those too. 50% tax. Yeah. Canada gets you. The other 50% went to cars and girlfriends. So, I mean, I was, it was all gone, right? Life was, and again, I'm 22, 20, you know, 23 years old. I deserve it. I deserve to lose it all. It's, it's what it is. But, um, you know, the financial crisis happens and, and actually how I end up really losing uh, my shirt at that time, Toby, was I decided I didn't want to be this deal finder, middleman anymore, because I didn't even know the term wholesaler that that existed. I wanted to be more than the middleman. I wanted to be the developer. So the next four projects, the next four buildings that I found, I actually took all the cash that I had been saving and I put them down as down payments. Oh, oh boy. And I had my mom and dad come and co-sign construction loans for me. And 2008 takes place and the bank, the bank was pre-qualifying. Basically, they give me a construction loan by pre-qualifying pre-sales. But when the lending criteria all changed, they called us up and said, hey, you know, all those pre-sales that we use to pre-qualify you for this construction loan that you're in already. We need to reevaluate all those because our lending criteria has changed. And since these aren't actually funded mortgages, we have every right to do that. Now, we know that your construction loan is based off these pre-sales, but Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's see what the what the pre-qualification looks like now. All of those sales got denied. All of those pre-quals that they gave us, all the approvals were no longer approved. What did they do then? They just foreclosed on you? They foreclosed on all of them. They foreclosed on all of them and then they came and took our primary residences. They took they took everything, Toby. We were the aftermath of that was me, my mother, father, sister, her husband, our 150-pound dog my niece and our cat all moved into a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. Oh, you're kidding. In Calgary? Yeah. Wow, that must have been. What, what year was that? That's 2008. So that's the sad side. And then you just smoked it from there on out. What did you do? So for a few years, I, I hated real estate. You know, I was just so, I was really burnt out. And, and I didn't know how, how I caused that. I didn't feel like it was my fault, you know. I was, a, I was obviously a victim mentality. It's always your fault. I learned that as an adult now. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always your fault. You got to plan. You got to prepare. You got to strategize. And you got you to gotta take care of yourself and your family. And if you don't put yourself in a situation where you can get hurt, it's your fault. It doesn't matter what happens. It's your fault. But at the time, I'm playing in victim mentality. And I decide I just need a break. So I, I, I move. I leave Los Angeles. I leave Calgary. And I move to Los Angeles to become a stand-up comedian. You're kidding. I'm not. Go down there. Are you pretty funny? I mean, I, I, I can tell some jokes, but I'm not on here talking about comedy, am I? I'm here talking about real estate. So I, I think, know, I know. But I'm, I'm trying to think of like, like when I'm looking over at you, like I'm talking during the day. I'm like, you are stoic. I did not in a million years say it's a comic. <laughs> I'll send you some stuff, Toby. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. I love it. So, I love it. So I'm just teasing on you. I spend a few years in, in comedy there. I have a good time. And you know, my, but my focus is always on real estate. I'm in LA. It's expensive to live there. And I'm looking at Phoenix and I can see that I can buy, and this is 2010 ish. I can buy a condo in Phoenix for 25,000. That was once worth 350,000 yep. and it rents for 800 a month. Right. Mm -hmm. So yep. when I saw that, I thought, what is, there's no Ponzi scheme on planet that'll on the planet that'll give me that return. You just had to have cash. Just had to have access to cash. So luckily, I have this amazing sister 
who was helping fund my shenanigans in Los Angeles and kind of let me take a break. And she was actually in Canada working on some sober living projects and she was sending me money and we were using some funds to buy some deals in Phoenix. Now, you know, in this time in 2010, 2011, short sales were the king, right? That's how we were acquiring property. And so the way short sales would work is you'd, you'd write 30 offers and three would get accepted. So you're always writing offers. You're always putting out feelers, putting out opportunities, just seeing what sticks, right? That's just the way it is. So we get to this point where there's two houses that a bank approves for a short sale, no deed restriction either, but I can't fund because I'm out of money. And so I do what I know. I write an ad. I go into Craigslist and I write an ad for these two houses. And I say, I have these two under contract. I'm willing to sell the contract. There's short sales. There's no deed restriction and there's no... I'm allowed to convey this at close of escrow. So there's no nothing stopping me from selling this immediately on double escrow. I added $10,000 onto each one. 15 minutes later, I got a call from somebody who walked by and said, I'll take these deals from you. I'll, I'll take them both. So in 15 minutes, Toby, I made 18, another $18,000 after closing costs. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck am I doing here in LA telling bad jokes? Having fun. Having fun, licking my wounds. But I, I knew, you know, I was engaged to get married at that time, too. So, you know, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking I'm about to start a family. I got to I got to do what I know. And I pack up my bags on December 12, 2012. That's my birthday, 12, 12, 12. And I drive from L.A. to Phoenix and I never look back. I get to Phoenix and we start Keegley, this nationally franchised wholesale operation, which is now operating in almost 180 markets. And uh, it's been wild, dude. Tell me about that. So uh, actually, let me stop you real quick, because wholesaling, if somebody is not familiar, how would you describe wholesaling to a newbie or somebody who's never heard the term before? Wholesalers sell potential. We sell potential. All right. So what do I mean by that? Because a lot of people will look at wholesaling and they'll say, well, you're buying something too cheap or you're stealing equity or you're, you're ripping people off. No, you're not. I only buy houses that need a tremendous amount of work. I buy hoarder houses, probate situations, a lot of deferred maintenance, uh, code violations, bankruptcies, just houses that, that have been just completely destroyed, not upkept. They need everything. Those are the, oper- those are the houses I'm looking at. And I, those are the ones I buy. And I actually will pay 100% of the as-is value for that house. See, there's two types of value when you're looking at a property. There's the as-is value, and then there's the after-repair value. Or sometimes I like to call that the after-risk value. You see, you have to take some financial risk. You have to repair this property before new equity is realized. And what we do as wholesalers is we look for that potential. We look at a house and say, hey, this junker house right now, if we dressed it up and fixed it up and got it all pretty, it has the potential of selling for this much. Mm -hmm. So what I do as a wholesaler is I say, if I can buy it here and the potential is here, I'm going to sell this much of it for a fee. So I sell a, I sell a portion of the potential of that project and somebody else will go in and go vertical on it and fix it up and make money on it. But I make a little bit for selling the contract, selling the opportunity, selling the potential. That's all I do. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard everybody like, oh, you can't do that or that's horrible or you're taking advantage of somebody. What would you say to those folks? I don't buy that because the homeowners that I'm talking to, they don't have other solutions. There's no financed buyer that could buy that house. No, no bank would lend on this property. So only a cash transaction could take place. 
-hmm. Now, yes, this house could be worth 175 or 200,000 fixed up, but they don't have the money to get it there. They don't have the capacity to take that risk. And what happens if I spend $50,000 fixing this house up and the market turns on me? There could be so many things that could go wrong. I can, I'm taking a risk. So I, I don't think I'm taking advantage of anybody. In fact, what I'm bringing to the table is a solution. I'm bringing liquidity to a situation where a seller wouldn't have an opportunity to sell that property to anybody else but a cash transaction. Yeah, or they get beat up in the marketplace if they tried to list it. Plus, they'd be yeah. a big old commission to somebody. Yeah, you're just going in there and you're cutting through all the layers and saying, here's a cash price. And then you're selling the the opportunity, like you said, you're selling that that contract to somebody else, either double closing or do you, do you do more double closes or do you do a lot of single closes now? I do mainly assignments. Our typical deal profit is around $10,000. I have no shame, I have no shame for that. So I don't care that a seller sees I made $10,000 to put the pieces together. And I don't care if a buyer sees that I made $10,000 to put the pieces together. Everybody values my situation in the deal. So you have that. So now people understand you're going in, you're putting things under contract, you're selling the rights underneath the contract, which just seems smart to me. Realtors don't do that. you know. And, and that's not a slight on realtors. It's just sometimes they say, oh, you're supposed to be a realtor. No, a realtor can't go in there and put it offer on your house. Some of them say, hey, I'll buy your house if I can't sell it. But here's where you're actually just buying. You're doing it in reverse order. I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to sell it. Make that little bit. Correct. Now, you, you you said you're in 180 markets with your with your franchise. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, like- so, so we're currently operating in 60, but we have a commitment from a private equity company to roll out into, up to, in, into 180 markets by the end of 2021. So they came in and purchased a large number of franchise units from us, and they're rolling out 10 units at a time. So we're in operating at 60 right now. We'll be in 180 by the end of the year. And we franchised the wholesale company, which has never really happened. I mean, you know, Homevestors is one franchise. I don't necessarily call them a, a wholesale company, but possibly because of the We Buy Ugly Houses. So, so they're, they're, they're an example of it. But truly what we are is a marketplace. We're an exchange. See, what I saw in the market was that a lot of wholesalers were going out and, and wild, wildcatting these properties, right? They were learning from educators how to identify a situation where a cash offer was appropriate. But what they weren't learning was how to dispose of that contract once they got it, yep. right? And, and, and when you do that, I think that's wrong. I think that when you cancel on, when you make a promise to a seller to buy their property and you're now allowing them to go make plans in their life and book a moving truck and, and just get on with things. And then you don't actually follow through with the promise you made. I think that's terrible. I think that's, that's just a totally terrible way to do business. And it happens a lot in wholesaling because wholesale attracts a hustler. It attracts, it's the, it's the entry level to real estate because you don't require cash or credit to do it. Right. And because it attracts that demographic of person, a lot of people come to it. Like, you know, uh, beast to honey. It's just a lot of people flock to it. And so we have this situation where there's all these wildcatters, bird dogs, whatever you want to call them out there, trying, talking to sellers, getting deals locked up, but then they don't know what to do with that. And so my company, Keegley, what we specialize in is bringing to the market or bringing the buyers and those wholesalers together in one organized place. And so our core competency is building cash buyers, cash buyer lists. And that's what we've done all across the country. And that's what we continue to do. 
I mean, when you sell to a cash buyer, are you looking, you're, you're probably selling to flippers, I'm assuming, or is it going to be- Flippers, buy and hold, renters. That's mainly the two demographics of buyers that we have. How does somebody get on that list? Reach out to me. Reach out to me on Instagram, uh, at J-D-A-M-J-I. That's at J-D-A-M-J-I on Instagram. Tell me what market you're in and introduce yourself and we'll add you to our buyers list. We we sell on average, just in my corporate Phoenix, Phoenix store, we do anywhere between 100 to 80 to 100 houses a month there. But every one of my franchises is doing 15, 20, 30 deals a month. And so we've got access to deals that you would never see. You have no idea that these opportunities are available. And look at the market right now. You can't even buy, you can't buy houses on the retail market right now. Yet I still have inventory every day, available every day. So anyone out there that can't find stuff, you're looking in the wrong place. Come to me. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild right now. I, I tell people, if you're looking at it, this is no different. That Your story you were telling me about what 2008 was like or before 2008, where you're putting in 30, 40 offers to get two or three. That's what we lived here in Vegas after 2008. It was just brutal. And then the private equity companies come in. I think it was BlackRock or Blackstone comes in and just starts buying up everything at, at 20% over. And we're experiencing that now, again, where people are paying right now in 2021, the length of time on the market is what, about eight days. We've had a complete decline in inventory and people are paying cash and 20 to 25% over risk. If you're looking at the MLS, you've already lost. So you have to go find deals and they're still good deals. It's just, it's not dressed up and pretty like it's all ready for for you to move into, right? You're probably going to be buying somebody else's problem that you're going to end up having to, you know, put a little spit on and clean up a little, make it look good. Then you can go ahead and then those folks can go ahead and sell it. And it's just a monster market right now. You guys got to be killing it right now. We are, you know, I'm, I'm extremely happy with uh, the success that we've had. And we're, we're able to just bring so many solutions to everybody. We're bringing solutions to homeowners. We're bringing solutions to wholesalers. We're bringing solutions to cash investors buy and hold investors, rehabbers. I mean, there's so many people are eating off of these deals. It's fantastic. How does somebody, like a new person, if you, if somebody's walking in saying, Jamil, you know what, I don't have any money. So, so it, it's you in 2002 and you walk in, what do you say to that person? How do they get involved? You know, you can absolutely get involved with no cash, no credit. All you need is consistency and hustle. Look, I got all of my first deals and I continue to get deals today calling tired landlords, going through the probate lists, communicating with probates, making relationships with probate attorneys, having them send me those leads, realtor leads. Oh my gosh, guys, let me tell you something about agents. Okay, agents are amazing. They're amazing, but they don't want these junky houses because they're not financeable. When when an agent, when a high power agent wearing Jimmy Choo shoes walks into a junker house where there's feces all over the floor. Do you think that that agent is at all interested in that listing? No, it's not in a price point they want. They know it's not financeable on the retail market. They need a cash solution. So why aren't you not networking with these agents to be the cash solution for those deals? Mm -hmm. Right. A good majority of my deals come from realtors. Another good portion of my deals come from wholesalers. Do you list with those same realtors? If a realtor brought you a bunch of junkers and said, could clean it up, are you going to give the listing to that realtor or are you just going to sell it off? If I do go vertical on that deal, I would consider using that listing agent. But what I've given a lot of listing agents as a, as a better perk is why wait for the carrot when I'm going to give you the pie now? 
So mm-hmm. I'll actually split my assignment fee with that agent and they get that on top of their commission. So right. I incentivize these realtors to always think of me, always think of me. That's smart. And then you said wholesaling. And, and, and again, that's just going and putting it under contract and, and selling it off to somebody else who needs it. Now, are you ever worried about us going back to a situation like in 2008, where we have a financial bubble burst and all of a sudden it, it's, it's anarchy and, and the values are dropping? And I can't see that happening with the numbers that I've seen. But let's just say that yeah. you ever worried about that happening? Well, here's the indicators that, that tell me that a repeat is, is not necessarily in the horizon. Of course, a correction can take place, but, but this is why I think a repeat's not on the horizon. A, our lending criteria is way stronger than it was back then. You're not getting these fictitious loans, right? These were, those were fictitious loans. Those were fictitious borrowers at some points, right? Like this wasn't real, wasn't real paper. So the lending qualifications are way harder now. Second, we are printing so much money right now. We are printing so much money that inflation is a, is a true fear. Why do you think these private equity companies are parking their money in housing? They're, They're hedging cash flow and inflation. That's going to provide them a much better return than anything else that they could put their money in at this point. You combat inflation by lowering interest rates. How long are you going to be able to keep them down to, what is it, zero to, to 25 basis points? It's just going to which makes it really cheap to go buy the houses, which drives the price up because you have so much demand for them. It's the same thing that's going on over and over. Be interesting to see whether the inflation stuff actually comes around, other than you're going to see housing costs get driven up. Yep. Wood costs. Oh my God. Wood, what did it triple during the pandemic? And it's still high. It's still it's still way higher than it was. I mean, you know, material, it's gonna cost so much more money for a new construction house to get built. So that, that's a problem, and that's going to have more upward pressure on, on housing. But in addition to that, I believe we're in an artificial market right now. With the amount of private equity in the, in the space, we aren't seeing natural market cycles. As new inventory pops onto the, onto the market, who's coming in and gobbling all that up? Private equity for the most part. And do you think they're going to allow housing prices to, de- to depress when they're holding such a large position in it? Not a chance. You know how much they're holding because I keep because we see that I'm a buy and holder and I I see these guys come into markets they ruin my market in Vegas they drove the price like crazy but um, do you have an idea have you seen any of that or are you just seeing it because you're you're selling them off I'm seeing it because I'm selling it off but it's it's billion you know hundreds of billions of dollars Toby I mean I don't have an exact number but it's a it's a massive amount yeah. it's a massive amount of of inventory. And, and they're not going to allow that to depress. Mm-hmm. So it's not until I start seeing private equity leave the market that I start worrying about a collapse. Yeah. And even with a collapse, wholesaling still fun because you're still looking for the deals. I, I, I just know because we were buying throughout the last one and you just couldn't find enough deals. And I, and I was like you, we're going to the short sellers. You, you're trying to buy stuff and all these agents had pocket listings and you know they were going around. Let's see if we can't do a short sale. They'd find out and then they would list it and immediately would go into a contract. And mm-hmm. It's so tough to get stuff. So so do you teach people how to go out and locate the houses too? Is that something that you do? Absolutely. Or- Absolutely. I give a ton of information away on my YouTube channel. So if you want to learn how to do this and you don't have money to you know, get a mentor or pay for coaching, go check out my YouTube channel. Everything you need to know is there. It's Jamil Damji on YouTube. If you watch me, you love me and you want to learn and you actually need coaching, you need mentorship, 
I'm a, I'm also a mentor. You can check out my my uh, mentorship program. It's Astro Flipping. I make really funny ads. That's where I I've tied in my my comedy career into uh, what I do now. But I love what I do, Toby. I love what I do. I love helping people. I've seen I've, the impact that I've been able to make in people's lives over the last you know five years has just changed me. It's changed me as a man. Pretty well. I, I went to your YouTube channel, and all I know is that I saw you running around with that shirt lifting weights while you were on the phone talking to people and doing it and it was tripping me out not, <laughs> not lying <laughs> it's it's always funny because my friends always say he's gonna find a reason to take his shirt off hey hey and then guys and for those of you that are listening to this right now i i'm i'm not really well built so i'm not a guy that should be taking his shirt off all the time but hey i have fun with it you can lie <laughs> Check out my guns. Huh. I need a license for both. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so much fun. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with everybody. You know, it's just neat to, to talk to people that are doers instead of just talkers. And it's really cool. So we will put all your information. We'll post it. So go to uh, Jamil Danji on YouTube. You can pop to that. We'll put that link in there. Any, anywhere else you'd want them to go? Yeah, check me out at IG. If you have any questions, you need some support, help, whatever it is, at J-D-A-M-J-I, at J-D-A-M-J-I, I'd love to work with you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 